I think I rewrote the outline of my sermon during that last song. <laughs> um, God, man, songs just have a way of speaking truths, right? You know, I, I, I was thinking, like, what are the fires? What are the fires that we go through? Um, I, I, I actually, I, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe I should have thought more about my sermon before. Um, like, I mean, we, financially, frankly, right? Like, there's financial fires, and, and, you know, there's a place where we get on our knees, and we're like, God, I don't know what you're going to do here. Um, I need you to show up, because I just can't figure this out. So, like, that's, that's one. Um, no, it's like our health and life, right? And we go, man, we get a diagnosis, or something happens, and we're like, we get on our knees, and we go, I need you, God, like, I don't know if I'm going to live, like actually have another breath, or I don't know if somebody's going to live, or, or whatever, right? And then I think there's a third one, and, and I, I, like I said, I did this while we were singing, because I'm like, uh, and, and then emotional, like relationships, right? That's probably the third one that we go, you know, how, how's this, you know, relationships falling apart, or, or whatever, right? And we go, I don't, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to respond. And that last song just speaks to all of us. And that's, that's the good news of Jesus Christ, that in the midst of all of those different circumstances, and maybe I've, maybe I've oversimplified it, but I, I think those are probably the three, in the midst of all of those circumstances, God is with us. Jesus is with us, right? It's in reference to uh, Daniel in the lion's den, right? Like, that's, that's what that song is in reference to, that, like, while he's in this furnace and the lion's den and all of these stories, right, that that. God was with them. It doesn't mean the story always ends well, though. Right? I mean, it doesn't. There's no, there's no gospel promise that says that you're going to survive. In fact, from God's perspective, you're just coming to him. You're coming home, right? There's no, there's no gospel uh, promise that says you're going to live in the lap of luxury financially. And there's no gospel promise that says that everybody's going to like you or that you're going to like everybody and never have conflict. That's not the promise. The gospel promise is that God is with you, that the Holy Spirit will encourage you, that he will strengthen you in the midst of these things. And just like Larry talked about, that as we go out, as we live our lives and we interact with people, we demonstrate our faith in them. That in the midst of our circumstances, we, we know that God is true and that he's, he's loving and he's adopted us as children. That's the gospel. That's why it's good news because wh what else do you have to do? Like the space between heaven and earth grows thin. Like, like we get closer and closer to God in the midst of these circumstances. Praise God. That's, what, that's often what God does in that. He's like, it's been a while since you've been on your knees. <laughs> now you're closer. <laughs> So, Paul, in this final, uh, well, in, at the end of chapter 15 here in Romans, he's going to talk about two of those, financially, and he's going to talk about physically, and he's going to talk about, like, what we're going to see Paul's faith come through in this. And so, um, as we dive into this, like, I, I just, we're, we've been going through Romans for a while, and this is kind of like Paul's waning on, in this letter to the Romans. And in fact, you read this with this passage of Scripture, and you're like, sounds like a, an itinerary, and like there's nothing really amazing about it until you get like what's happening and the context. And so we're going to bounce between Acts, where Paul is actually going through these things, and he's writing the letter in these chapters in Acts, and, and, you, can, and you get more depth to what Paul is going through and why he's seeing the things that he's saying and what's going on and what this, uh, everything that we're talking about is, is happening. And so that, we're going to be bouncing back and forth. So have your Bibles open, um, have your apps open, you know, be ready. We're going to jump, like I said, uh, primarily between Romans and Acts. Um, and, and, and I also want to, another reminder is that like as we're going through this, the goal is that we're being equipped, right? This is why Paul writes Romans is why God gives us his inspired word. And so we can be equipped. You know, we can 
that we can handle God's word more faithfully, that we can understand where these truths are, like what, what does God actually think about these things? And so that's what we're doing this morning. But before I jump in, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. And um, we just ask that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that you would remove um, any obstacle to us hearing the gospel. I pray that um, if I'm going to speak something you want me to speak, I pray that you'd cause me to forget it. Uh, if there's something else that you want me to, uh, to speak from your word, um, help me to think of it. And I just pray, Father, that, that um, the attention would be completely focused on you and what you've done for us. We thank you, Father, for your son. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, so this week you read, um, hopefully in between, I didn't even write down what the verses are, but we're going to start in uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 18. What Paul does is he's, he's establishing... Um, what he's been spending his life doing. And this is what he says in, in verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to... Il Man, I knew I was going to mess this up. It <laughs> I don't know. I'm a, I, the I word. I have fulfilled... Illyricum, thank you. Um, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. And listen to this. I, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So what does Paul want to do? He wants to go and tell people about Jesus, like who've never heard of Jesus, like like. No other foundation. This is what he wants to do. That is his ambition. Would we agree with that? Like, he's really clear about it. And he's not going to do his ambition. He's not going to do it. He's going he's, he's gonna to back off from it. And that's, that's kind of where we ask these questions of Scripture. Where we're like, what's going on here? We're going to dig in to that piece. So that verse right there, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand Turn over to Isaiah chapter 52. That's what he's quoting here. <coughs> 52 verse 13. It says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. This is a messianic psalm. This is Isaiah prophesying about Jesus. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond, beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. So Paul's going back to this prophecy that Isaiah had, of, of the Messiah, and he goes like, this is the fulfillment. Like, Paul sees himself as part of this fulfillment, that people are going to see and understand who previously did not see and understand. It's pretty clear, right? Like, Paul gets this, and we're gonna, we're gonna roll back through where Paul's at. Paul is writing Romans in his third missionary journey. So this is where he's been cycling around, and, and I had a map, and then I remembered it, and then I forgot it again. Um, so maybe in the back of your Bible, if you've got one of the Paul's missionary maps, this is the third missionary journey that he's on, okay? And he's going, and it's basically, you know, up from Israel into Turkey, and then over into modern-day Greece, and then back down, and then he goes across the Mediterranean back to um, Israel, basically. Like, that's, that's the loop. Sorry, for your eyes, thing. it's this way, right? Like, that's his loop. That's what he's doing. Um, and so he sees that what he's doing is fulfilling part of Isaiah's prophecy here. And we know this because he talks about it in other letters. Go to Galatians. I'm sorry. Hang on. Go, go to Acts 9, chapter 15. This is actually Paul's calling. Like, this is what God converted and called Paul to do. Look at what it says in Acts 9, 15. Um, this is the conversation is between the risen Christ, Jesus, 
who has appeared to Ananias, okay? Paul, a little backstory here. Paul was killing everybody that was a Christian, okay? God appears to him on the road to Damascus, reveals himself to him, and Paul goes, I missed the boat on this one, right? And so God tells Paul to go to Ananias, and then he tells Ananias, hey, heads up, this guy that, that's been murdering Christians, he's going to come see you. And Ananias is like, oh, fantastic. I'd love to meet him, right? <laughs> so he's a little like, and so this is Jesus now reassuring Ananias, like, don't worry, I got this. And he says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. It's pretty cool, actually. So it's not just Israel, it's Gentiles. And what did we read in Isaiah? That the king's mouths would be shut. So here's, here's Jesus saying, like, this is what Paul's for. This is why I'm using him. He's my chosen instrument. And he goes on to say, oh, he's going to know what suffering is. <laughs> it's not as if Paul got this, like, free and clear, and he just got, to, got adopted by God and everything was great. Like, like Paul, had, Paul did a lot of work. He did a lot of work. And God used him. And so, so he sees this. Now go to Galatians chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, But when he who had sent me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult, immediately consult with anyone. And he goes on to talk about how he went off and he started preaching the gospel. And then turn over to chapter 2, verse 7. Paul summarizes when he came back to Jerusalem. It says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me from mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So, so if, you, if you remember, right, you, you've, Paul is writing Romans. And hold on to this because we're going to cycle back around. Paul's writing this, and he's talking to the Jews and the Gentiles going, you guys are all in the same boat. Yeah, God, the Jews were God's chosen people, and he, and he brought the Messiah, brought Jesus through the Jews, through Israel. But he goes, you guys are all in the same predicament eternally. Right? And that's what we've been stepping through, right? The beginning is like, we're all depraved. We're all sinful. We're all in rebellion. We all need Christ. We all need a righteousness that we cannot manufacture in and of ourselves. We need Jesus' righteousness. We need his perfect righteousness. And so that's everybody. It doesn't matter how much you obey the law. It doesn't matter how much you don't obey the law. Like, you need Christ's righteousness. And that's true for them, and it's true for us now. Because if we're counting on our own efforts and works to get to heaven... We've got a long ways to go before we're holy. And in fact, we'll never get there. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that to be true. And so this is where he's been writing this going like, let me teach you the gospel. Let me help you understand this thing. But let me help you understand it in the context of unity and understand that the Jews and the Gentiles are all one people. They're all part of God's adopted family. All right, so this is where he's at. So what do we read? Go to Acts chapter 13. This is, this is the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey in verse 46. Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to set out. We just read that in Galatians, right? Like the, it's so much fun, by the way, if you're ever reading a letter in the New Testament, to read it in parallel with Acts, where you can get like where they're at, what they're doing. It's, it, it provides so much more depth to it. So Acts 13, they're, they're going off on their first missionary uh, uh, trip. And look at what it says in verse, I forget, 44? No, sorry, 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. He's talking to the Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of 
of the earth. In other words, salvation wasn't just for this group of people. Salvation was for the nation. Salvation was for everybody. And Paul was the instrument God was using to make this happen. Any question about Paul's purpose? <laughs> he gets it, right? Like, he knows what his purpose is. He's written about it. It's been really clear. God, God revealed this to Ananias. And like, I mean, like this is over and over. Paul is going to the Gentiles. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 49 now. Because that's what Paul just quoted. Isaiah 49, 6. And I've quoted this recently. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. In other words, he's saying, like, if we're just talking about Israel and saving Israel, like, we can do this. That's not hard. It's too light. God says, like, that's easy. That's not a problem for me. He's like, I will make you as a light for the nations, the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You see, Paul's understanding is really our understanding, all the things that Larry was just talking about, right? Like, we're called to go out, to go to the nations. It's not as if there's like a country where you're like, no, they don't need the gospel. Like, we're not allowed to go there. Like, we don't even think of it that way. We assume, rightfully so, that the whole world should hear the gospel. Now, there's nobody, no, no, no race, no ethnicity, no, no, no geographic region. Like, there's nothing that's off limits. I mean, it might be more dangerous, but it doesn't mean that they shouldn't hear the gospel. And that's what Paul was about. That's what Paul understood. And this is what God had prophesied way, way, hundreds and hundreds of years before through Isaiah. The plan is to go to the nations through, Jeru uh, through the Jews first. All right, now go to Acts. We're going to get to our verses today in a second here. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. This is, we got we to build this up because we got to understand where Paul's mind is. Acts 14, 21. Listen to how they describe this. This is again in his first missionary journey. He says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That's what Paul's doing. That's his, that's the script. <laughs> that's our script. That's what, there is nothing in that that we go, that's not for us. That is exactly what we ought to be doing, right? Preaching the gospel, going out. I mean, it doesn't mean we got to go somewhere, right? We could preach the gospel just down the street here, right? But this is what he's talking about. When you look at Paul's missionary journeys, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this from memory right now, and I don't, so I may, I may not be precise on this. But it's not, like, I think I always thought that, like, Paul went here on missionary journey one, and then over here he went to two, and then here he went to, that's not what he did. He went to one. And then he went back to those same churches to encourage them. And then he went back to those same churches to encourage them. Like, it, I mean, there might be some variations here and there, but there's a lot of him going back to the same churches. Why? Why? If his ambition, hold on to this, if his ambition was to preach the gospel where nobody else had laid a foundation, why is he going back to the same church all over? What is he doing? He's strengthening them. He's encouraging them. Hold on to that. We're going to get back to that. That's my second point today. But we're, we're a ways off from that. All right, go back to Romans chapter 15. Verse 24. Here's his closing remarks as he goes, uh, or as he finishes his letter to the Romans. I hope to see you in passing. Paul had never been to Rome, Okay. He says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. That's Paul's goal. He wants to get to Spain, okay? And to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So what's Paul's plan? Paul's like, I want to get to Spain. Why? Because his ambition is to preach the gospel where it hasn't been laid before. 
Nobody's been to Spain. That's where he's planning on going. He's going to go through Rome. Rome's probably an easy place, easy way to get to Spain. If you can look at a map, if you can visualize it, it makes sense. Okay? That's probably your stopping point. That's where you're going to want. A lot of people think that he was like um, creating like a home base in Rome and that he was going to, you know, go out from there and use that because there's probably a lot of shipping and things of that nature. And so, so this is where he's at. He's like, I want to go to Spain. I'm going to come through Rome. I'm going to write this letter to, that's going to go in front of me. And, and we'll read in chapter 16. He gives it to somebody to go take it to Rome. But what's Paul doing? He's going the opposite direction. He goes, I'm going to do, I want to do this. And he's going to say later on, if it's God's will, I'm going to do this. But, but right now, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to take a contribution from a couple churches in Galatia, Macedonia and Achaia. And I'm going to take this contribution of money. And I'm going to take it to the saints in Jerusalem. So he puts a pause. He puts a pause on going around and encouraging the churches. He puts a pause on like laying this foundation originally, and he goes, I need to go do this. And so the first question that we ask is, why? Why is he doing this? Why didn't he just give the contribution to somebody and say, send it to Jerusalem, I'm going to Spain? It's a good question. And I don't know the answer. <laughs> I mean, I think we can infer, and, and sadly, a, a bit of the sermon today is going to be me inferring. Because I think there's some, some meat here that I think we can look at and get. And, you know, if you, if you disagree with me, you know, let me know afterwards. And, you know, I could be wrong, but it's not going to drive us in the wrong direction. Don't worry. So first, what's this donation? He says there's this contribution. Paul's third missionary journey was really going around to the churches, and he was collecting this contribution. He was collecting a donation. We read nothing that is a forced donation or anything of that nature. In fact, the Corinthian church seems to be the first one that started it. Um, and he's going to go back, and we're going to read some of this, where it's like he gets into some depth about what this donation looks like. And so we want us, I want us to spend the first part of this looking at that donation, looking at what's going on. It's actually money. Corinth has like taken up an offering for the believers in Jerusalem. What was going on was there was a famine. And it was striking everybody, right? And so there were people that were doing all right. And then the, the believers in Jerusalem were not doing well. And they needed help. And you can imagine, okay, and this is where you got to put yourself in the context. The believers in Jerusalem were seen as heretics. You could imagine that when they're distributing money and food and all those things, that things would probably not be going well for them, right? Like they would probably be overlooked, they would probably be suffering a little bit more than the average Jew that was in Jerusalem. And so, so this is probably, this is a little bit of that inferring, but it was probably a little extra dire for them. And you can read, and there's all sorts of external biblical evidence of this famine that was going on, and, and so this is, what's, this is likely what is happening. And so Corinth starts it, and they collect an offering, and, and the Gentiles, non-Jews, at Corinth go, let's raise some money for the Jews in Jerusalem, or for the, the believing Jews in Jerusalem. Okay, you guys with me on that, right? The Jews that became followers of the way that believed that Jesus was the Messiah. That's who we're talking about when I say that, okay? Let's raise some money for them. And then Macedonia and Achaia do the same thing. Again, Gentile churches. They're like, let's raise some money for them. So Paul is taking this donation. All right, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He's gonna talk about it for quite some time. So we're going to read through this. And we're going to get some understanding of what this donation looks like. It, but more than just this donation, it's not, this, isn't, this is somewhat special based on the circumstances, but I don't want us to think of it like that, right? Like this is really like how God sees our resources and money, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief 
of the saints. So here we are. We're, he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church, and he's talking about the Macedonians and the, uh, and the, the people in Achaia. I don't know what they're called, Achaians or something. I don't know. Um, but he's talking about the, the donation, right? You guys get this, right? This is, this is where this becomes beautiful, right? You're reading a letter to the Corinthian church about another church, right, that he mentions in Galatians and Acts and in Romans. What does he say? Out of their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. How does that, how does that work? <laughs> as, as is commonly being said these days, the math isn't mapping. Like, how does that work? And in their extreme poverty, <laughs> they, get, they were generous. And then look at what it says in verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the what? The favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. <laughs> this wasn't reluctant, and we can go down, and this, this whole sermon isn't on giving or anything like that, so don't, you know, if, if you think that's where I'm going, it's not, right? But like, like, they were begging to earnestly give. They're like, we want to do this, Paul. Paul, we're so glad you're here. Can we take up a collection so that we can give that to the saints? And he's like, you're poor. What are you doing? We want the favor. In fact, the, the Greek word there is charis. It's grace. He's like, we want the grace of being able to do this. This is going to come up again. What's grace? grace, grace it's a gift. That's actually what it means. It's a, it's a, it's a gift. They, like, we want the gift to be able to give. It's hard to wrap our brains around, isn't it? <laughs> okay. I feel like a gift is when I receive. <laughs> That's not what they saw it as. Can we please have the opportunity to give? Verse 5, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Now, I don't, I, I, I was running through a bunch of commentaries on this one. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I don't know if he's saying like, like they gave to the, the Jews first and then like they supported Paul and Barnabas. Like, like they, they prioritized that before they gave to Paul and Barnabas and told them, I don't know, make a tent, you know, sustain yourself. I, I don't know if it's that or if it's that they were faithfully like going to God first and foremost before they, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure, but it seems as though Paul is surprised by how they react in a faithful way. He's surprised. He's like, this isn't what we expected. They, they reacted and dealt with the circumstance and with their finances in an unexpected way. And it says in verse six, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of Grace, same word that was used previously. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. It's an act of grace. Man, if we could wrap our brains around this and actually apply this in our lives, that like giving and generosity is an act of grace. And I'll just say it, like, like, I'm not talking giving, like, there's, no, there's not going to be a, a bucket that's passed here in a second or anything like that. You guys know, right? Like, like, that's not how this is. This is just being a generous person. God values that for a reason. There's a faith piece to that. This isn't just an ethic. This isn't just being generous because being generous is good, and everybody would agree that generosity is good. That's not it. It's about, it's about understanding who God is, and that he's with us in the fire. That our finances, we don't need to hold on to them with such fierce of a grip, afraid that we're going to lose them. Because what does that say? That says that my God can't hold on to them, so I need to. So that's where he's going with this. 
And then look at verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove my earnestness of others, that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So he, we, did, we saw this last week, right? Paul's kind of doing this again. He's like, look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus gave up. Look at the poverty he took on to bless you. Verse 10, and in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean, now listen to this, okay? Here we go. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. You got your Bibles open, underline that. Calvin goes into this. Lots of theological scholars have gone into this. There is no ethic that says you need to be out on the street and give away all of your money. That's not. God may call you to that, but that's not what he's teaching here. And I know we always go to this extreme, don't we? That's how we protect our own, our own, uh, our own desires. We go, well, you want me to give money out of my poverty? What do you want me to do, become poor? You want me to give up everything so that somebody else can, can eat? Fine, well, what about me? I got I to gotta take care of my family. I got to do my stuff. He goes, that's not the point. That's our defensive mechanism, right? We swing to an extreme. and We go, well, the extreme can't be true, so therefore we shouldn't even go in this direction. He goes, no, no, you should. And listen to what he says. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. How are you guys doing with that? It's a little socialist, isn't it? <laughs> It is. <laughs> I, thought, I thought long and hard about how to, to preach this. Honestly, and here's the thing, right? We've got to be careful about what is an American political ideal and what Scripture teaches. Okay? We've seen examples of everything go poorly, governmentally. Right? And what's caused that? Sin. Right? Sin. That's the fallen world we're in. It's sin that causes all that. Do you think there... Do you, <laughs> I'm, I'm poking a little bit. Do you think in heaven... Is, is heaven going to be more socialist or capitalist? <laughs> we're not going to be in need. Nobody's going to be in need. So what I, what I want to encourage you here, and I'm just going to get off of this topic. <laughs> don't, let, don't let politics, don't let, don't let these other things influence your interpretation of Scripture. Because what it clearly says here is that your abundance should go to supply the needs of others. I, you, can, you can slice it and dice it however you want. But those words are going to still say the same thing. And that word fairness is like equality and equity. So... You can circle it, but you can't line through it, okay? I'm moving on. <laughs> that last verse, verse 16, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. You know what he's referring to? Exodus chapter 16 with the manna. If you guys haven't read that, please go read Exodus 16 and like the surrounding chapters. It is so cool. God provides for the Israelites Manna in the desert. Bread, like the dew in the morning was bread. They could like go walk around and collect up bread, right? And that's how God sustained them. But here was the amazing thing. The bread would rot overnight. He goes, don't collect up more than you need. Just grab what you need, eat it. And he even goes on to say, those who gathered a lot had plenty. Those who gathered a little bit 
had plenty. Everybody had plenty. That's what he's talking about in Exodus 16. It's this beautiful picture. So, so anyway, so, so Paul goes back and points back to Exodus 16 to establish this. So what's going on? So we've got this contribution that's being built in Romans uh, or in the uh, third missionary journey. And Paul's collecting this up from the Gentiles with all of their generosity. They're the ones with abundance. The, Jew, or the, the, the believing Jews in Jerusalem, I keep misspeaking, the, the believing Jews in Jerusalem are in need. The Gentiles could have said, where have you been for the last couple of millennia? You weren't taking care of us then. In fact, you were killing Gentiles. <laughs> what do we owe it to you? Look what it says in verse, uh, Romans 15, 27. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. Meaning the Gentiles owe this material blessing to the believing Jews in Jerusalem. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to be of service to them in material blessings. You can can spend a while studying on that one. Don't we put a price tag on absolutely everything in our lives? I mean, everything's got a price. Minus relationships and eternity. (laughs) Those ones are like, there's no price tag there. Probably because they're priceless. So what, what Paul says here is like, how much is eternity worth? Like, if somebody, I mean, who introduced you to Christ? What do you owe them? Have you thought about that? You owe them your, just your eternity. I mean, not really, right? But, but to some extent, right? There's, there's, there's this relationship that should be there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paul, for bringing the gospel to us. Because if you hadn't, I would never have known who God was. Now, don't, don't mistake God's sovereignty and, and right, like there's, there's a lot of complexities to this, right? But in a very, very finite sense, they owed their understanding of who Christ is as the Messiah and the gospel to the Jews. And so Paul says, you owe it to them. And we can relate to that. And if you know somebody, right, like if you have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who then follows Christ, they could probably look back and go, I owe you. I owe you one, buddy. Thank you. I had, there was a, um, stand by. Um, here was my story. Um, so we had a, there was a, a, a deacon at a, we were going to a Baptist church in Panama City. And we, our kids were young at the time. This was in like, I don't know, 07, I guess. And, and um, you know, we'd come into the church carrying Juliet, who was, you know, in a carrier, and then Kylie and Ava, and like we'd get there, and he'd go, you know, you should come to Sunday school. <laughs> and we went, have you seen these? <laughs> Wait, what makes you think I've got extra time or sleep or anything in abundance here? But man, he kept on. He kept on with that southern draw. And he's like, man, you know, and he's like, for him, he's like, I don't understand. You go to Sunday school. <laughs> like, that's just part of, like, church. We're in the South. That's what you do. You go to Sunday school and you go to church, right? And we got a group for you. They're all your age. And, you know, we go to the 20-somethings group. Anyway, so we finally came. I will tell you, God used that man. In so many ways. More than he even knows, you know, and... He didn't bring me to faith, but he put us in a place of obedience in a very real sense for us. Um, and, and I think it was, it's that where I go, man, I, I, I owe this gentleman. Because him and his wife, I mean, they were like second grandparents to our kids at the time. And I mean, like, it was God's hand in his life to us. That's how God did it. That's how God changed our lives and, frankly, our daughter's lives. 
through some dude. <laughs> he, he's not anything to speak of. It's not him. It's the same thing we read at the very beginning where Paul goes, I'm going to boast about what God's doing through me. That's the pleasure that we get as being adopted children of God, that God uses us to communicate the gospel in this just beautiful, incredible way. And so, so what is Paul doing here? He's like, this donation, this, this is like, they, they owe it to him. There's this relationship that Paul is establishing. Why? Because they understood that their resources were not theirs. That was their faith. His resources and our needs, right? Like, like this is, or our hands. Like, this is, this is how they saw it. Like, it's not, like, we're not collecting these things up for us. Where has God brought you, and what does he want to use from you? We are stewards. That's it. It's not our money. It's not our time. It's his resources. It's his time. way behind time now. It's his time. All right, here we go. So that's, that's God's perspective on money. Take that for what it's worth. I mean, like, that's, that's significant. And this is where we got to write ourselves and go, man, there's relationships there. There's, there's investing in the gospel. There's all sorts of stuff that's going on. But if we see it as ours, we're going to miss it. All right, Romans 15, verse 28. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul's like, I'm gonna go drop this thing off and then I'm gonna, and then I'm gonna go. Why does he prioritize this collection? Why does he do this? Go back to Acts chapter 21. So Acts 21 is where he's on his fourth or third missionary journey. It's actually the end of it. Paul's on his way back into Jerusalem. Acts 21, verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people were, ur and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, "What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus." And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, "Let the will of the Lord be done." Paul's going to Jerusalem to take this collection that we just talked about, right? And he's going there. He's he's he's. He's not doing what he wants to do, which is go and preach the gospel to people that haven't heard. He's stopped that, and he's going there. Why? And they're going, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to go into prison. You're going to be bound when you go to Jerusalem. And Paul goes, I'm going to serve Jesus. He, he sees his life, right, in service to Christ. What's going on? He's just delivering some money. Why is this in service to Christ? Why wouldn't he, why wouldn't he go, you know what? Good thought. I'm going to go to Spain instead. You take the donation. I'll stay alive. I'll be able to preach more in places that haven't heard the gospel. That seems logical. And you can go down a whole other thing of like, man, it, the way Paul is described here, very similar to somebody else that we know. That's what everybody said to Jesus. Don't go to Jerusalem. They're going to they're gonna kill you. And he's like, I'm going to Jerusalem because this is what God's will is, right? And so this is, I think that, I, that's got to be in Paul's mind. I, I think that's in Paul's mind. I, he knew that, right? He knew that story. And so he's like, I'm going to Jerusalem because God said on my heart to go to Jerusalem. And, and what comes, comes. That's faith. Faith in, his faith in finances, faith in his own life. And he goes, listen, but what does he say? After I go to Jerusalem, yeah, I'm going to go to Spain through Rome. Like he's, still, he's still hopeful, and I don't know in his mind if he's like, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if I'm going to make it there. I wonder if I'm going to get out of Jerusalem. 
But why is Paul going? Go, back, go to Romans 15.30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. He got it. He knew what was happening. He's writing a letter to, to the church in Rome, and he's going to Jerusalem, and he goes, would you pray for me? Because I don't know what's going to happen. Deliver me from this. So why? Why is Paul doing this? What's the whole letter of the Romans been about? Unity. What does he have an opportunity to do? Go to Jerusalem, go to the Jews there, the, the believing Jews, and go, here's some unity. They love you. They're thinking about you. All the way up in Galatia, they're thinking about you, and they're, they're, they're giving out of their poverty for you because they are united with you in Christ. They saw themselves as one body. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. All right, go back to Acts 21. Paul arrives in Jerusalem in verse 17. It says, when, he, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. What's Paul doing? Paul's going, the gospel's for all of us. Listen to what's happening. Listen to where the Holy Spirit is working in the Gentiles, not just here in Jerusalem, not just, right? Like, it's hard for us to, to grasp this, but he's going like, this is happening everywhere, you guys. Like, this is real. This, this is encouraging and, and unifying all at the same time. Verse 20, and when they heard it, they glorified God. They glorified God. And then look, skip down to, oh, wait, yeah, yeah. So, and, and then it says, and then they said to him in uh, the second half of verse 20, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. So, they're saying this to Paul. He's like, you see all these Jews that are now believing in Jesus. And then listen, they are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. So it goes from the celebration, right? He's like, look at what the Holy Spirit's doing. Like, like Paul is synced with God. He's like, this has been amazing. Look at all the things. They're coming to faith. They're, they're trusting in Christ. The Holy Spirit's there. And he goes, yeah, but there's a lot of believing Jews here that, don't, that, that have a rumor about you, right? That, that think you're teaching other things. And listen to what their cry is in verse 28. Acts 21, 28, crying out, men of Israel, help, this is the man. So Paul was in the temple presenting his offering, all this stuff, and it says, men of Israel, help, this is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. These were not Jews. These were believing Jews. These were the Jews in Jerusalem who trusted in Christ, and these are the things that they're saying. It's not a lot of unity, is there? It was hard for them. There's, there's a lot between, there's a huge division, big wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so why is Paul going there? Because he wants to break down that wall. He wants to create this unity among them so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can flourish. Paul does go to Rome. We read it in Acts 28, the very closing verses. He gets imprisoned and dragged to Rome, and he's in prison and house arrest in Rome. That's how Paul went to Rome. Not the way he was thinking, but that's how he went to Rome. But listen to this. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, 
proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Different kind of prison than what we see now. (laughs) He's paying for himself. And what's happening? He's not going out. People are coming to him. And he's teaching. It's not exactly what he envisioned, but it's what God had planned. And so while while Paul's writing this letter to the Romans, and he's like, I'm going to come to you guys, I'm going to go to Spain, it, it wasn't exactly what he expected it to be. But you know what ends up happening? Paul writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon all while he's in jail. You know, sometimes when God doesn't do what we think he's going to do, we get frustrated. And I'm sure Paul was. But did he get to preach the gospel well beyond his comprehension? Absolutely. Because you and I are reading Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. Think Paul could have fathomed this? He had no idea. But God did. You see, that's why we can place our trust in him. That's why we can say he's in the fire with, like, like he's got this. Whatever, whatever your financial circumstances are, whether you're going to Jerusalem and you're like, man, like, my health isn't good, I, like, things aren't going right, God's got it. God's got it. Our job is to proclaim the gospel in all those places with whatever he gives us and whatever opportunities we have. And then look at the closing Verses, Romans 15, 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Now, knowing how he came, we read this a little bit differently, don't we? It's the hope of a man that has no idea what's about to happen, but we know. And he says, by God's will. And he says, may the God of peace be with you all. You see, as, as we wrap this in and we, and we look at this, we see that clearly that God desired unity in the church. Apparently, for Paul, more than he desired to grow the church at that time. He desired unity over growth. Like the, it's, not, it's not like he's, he's saying, I don't care what happens between the Jews and the Gentiles. You just keep preaching the word. Go to Spain. Do the th-. No. God goes, I need you to come back to Jerusalem. And you're going to build up some unity in the church. That's valuable to God. And that should be valuable to us. And so when we read this scripture and we go, Paul's taking a donation to the Jews in Jerusalem. Why is that a big deal? There's a lot behind that. There's a lot behind what God's doing in your life. You're just doing this tomorrow or the next week, or whatever. No. Not if, you're, not if you place your trust in Christ. Not if the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Man, he is using you in the next conversation you have, the next opportunity you have. We need to understand this. Paul was no different than us. I mean, he was called to a very special role, but, but he was a man. He sinned. He struggled. He had all the same problems you have. God used him tremendously. Where does God want to use us? And how does he want to use us? Let's pray.